It is good to be gathered together as the body of Christ this morning. And every time we do that. And to have brothers and sisters to remind you, you still got your earbuds in. Keeping it real. Praise the Lord. Well, we are in Matthew chapter 10 this morning. Our second week into chapter 10. Chapter 10 is all about Jesus instructing his 12 disciples. This is the first time in Matthew Jesus is focused on the 12. And at the beginning of this really was the time when he's calling out his 12 and he's about to send them out um, on a very specific training mission. You realize a lot of what we see in the Gospels is an example. We wonder, what's discipleship about? What does it look like? Well, we see Jesus training his disciples to then ultimately be sent out to go make more disciples. And how are they going to do that? In the same way that Jesus trained them. And so the, the mission we looked at yesterday that he was about to send them out on was a training mission. Very specific in the instructions on what to do, what not to bring, right? Go out, you're not going to bring anything uh, that's going to provide for your needs. <clears throat> you're going to be completely dependent on the Father. And uh, you're going to go in places and some places will accept you. Stay there. Some places won't. Wipe off the dust of your feet because you represent what? The gospel, the message of the gospel. What you're bringing is that message. And their reception of the gospel is going to be their reception of you. The rejection of the gospel is going to be their rejection of you, right? And, and that was very, uh, very much tied to the example they had already seen in Jesus Christ, the discipler saying, come with me, I'm going to show you. They, they hadn't done anything yet themselves. He's, he's there healing the leper. He's there raising the dead. He's doing all these things. And now he's saying, okay, exactly what I just did, I'm going to send you out and you're going to do that too. He's the perfect discipler. Well, his instructions to his disciples continue. And there's a shift now um, in, in the substance of what he's getting them, get, giving to them. And you'll notice <clears throat> it is related. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Good. All right. It is related to this mission that he's sending them on. But now it's going to start looking forward beyond what their experience would be right then and there. More to what their experience will be in the future. And as we'll see next week, even beyond... Our current experience now. Thank you, brother. Right? So let's look as Jesus continues to instruct his disciples. Oh, cool water. There's a sermon illustration in there somewhere. All right. We're in chapter 10, starting in verse 16. Chapter 10. There we go. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak 
what, are you are, what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Lord, help us to receive your word this morning. Even as you were instructing your disciples then, God, we can be instructed by it too. Help us, Lord, to understand your teaching. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you already notice some things different in here. Being dragged before kings. This isn't, this isn't their experience right then in that one short mission. This is now looking forward. You're going to be sent out. And here's the manner that I'm sending you out. What does he say? There in verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. How are sheep and wolves related? Sheep are prey to wolves. Wolves have sheep for dinner. Jesus saying, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Why did it have to be sheep? Why Jesus? Jesus is, after all, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Couldn't he have sent us out as a pride of lions to go take on the world, right? That would make so much more sense. What kind of strategy is this, God? Send out your disciples as sheep among wolves. That is his strategy. That is how his mission to save the world is going to be accomplished. By sending out his disciples as sheep, as prey, as helpless among those who will attack and devour. That's his strategy. And notice there is a distinction between sheep and wolves here just in the picture Jesus is drawing. Before we even got into chapter 10, Jesus looked into the crowds and what did he see? He saw lost sheep, the tribe of Israel, or the tribes of Israel. He saw people that needed to be gathered into the kingdom, right? And now this is adding to that picture. There are wolves. And there's, that's another part. He doesn't necessarily see the wolves as sheep. And as we'll see, we don't necessarily have a clear view of the dis distinction between wolves and sheep. But there are two distinct things here. And so he says, without really giving the reason why yet, here's how I'm sending you, my disciples. I'm going to send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. And so, and then he gives instruction. What's his first instruction? That we need to heed because we are, just as his disciples sent out as sheep among wolves, we are sent a sheep among wolves. So this first instruction, it's in the imperative. It's a command. It's Jesus saying, this is important. Here's what you need to do. I'm sending you out a sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Makes it easy for sermon points when he gives such clear instruction. Here's our first point. Be wise and innocent. 
right? And he, and he describes what he means by wise and innocent. What, what's the wisdom? What, wise as a serpent. How would they have understood kind of that, that, the picture of a serpent? What would that represent to them? What does it represent to us? We've seen many depictions of a, of a snake in movies. Few that come to mind. Um, let's see, Jafar. Uh, there's, uh, you ever see the old uh, animated Robin Hood? You got the, the snake or Jungle Book, the snake, right? Lots of, lots of serpents, cunning, deceitful. You know, it's, it's actually not much different, our idea depicted in movies of what a serpent represents than what it was to them back then. Because we go all the way back to the beginning, it was a serpent there in the Garden of Eden. And how does Genesis 3.1 describe uh, that serpent? Put that up, Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. That's, that's how they view a serpent, cunning, crafty, deceitful. Scheming, right? And so Jesus is saying, you need to have that understanding that you need to be wise as a serpent. That, so that brings kind of a connotation of, of really having that understanding and wisdom of that cunning one, deceitful one. But if that's all he said, then not only would we have that understanding, but we would probably take up that same methodology, in deceit, right? He says, no, you're supposed to be wise as a serpent, but also innocent as doves. It's harder to figure out, okay, well, how would they have seen doves? There's one example in Hosea chapter 7. You can look at this one. Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense. And I, I can see doves that way. They all kind of just cloud around. They're kind of mindless there's an innocence there. Jesus is saying kind of a cluelessness, I think. That innocence that just doesn't even know evil, that, that acts, your, your actions driven by more of an innocence. But see, if, if that was all we had, as Jesus is saying, be innocent like a dove, then we'd also be naive, without understanding, not knowing what it is we're up against. So Jesus says, these two things are important. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And so you need to have the understanding to understand the wolves. Understand the cunning, deceitfulness, the, the schemes that are going on there. But I don't want you to partake in any of that. Your actions, how you proceed, how you talk, what you do, should be as one who is clueless, innocent, as a dove. Maybe a difficult thing to actually put into action. But we saw that from Jesus. Boy, Jesus understood the schemes against him. He understood the, the talk behind the scenes, the real purpose behind the questions that were meant to trap him, right? And, and those schemes that went all the way to the cross, and yet, as a lamb... His actions were innocent. Moving forward. 
Jesus is the perfect example of how he would have us live as his disciples, as sheep in the midst of wolves. continues in verse 17 with his instruction beware of men this is application of wisdom and innocence beware of men for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles another imperative another strong instruction I'm sending you out of sheep among wolves you need to be wise you need to be innocent and you need to beware of people that's another way to translate that beware of people there's wolves pay attention be alert who are those wolves? Who are the wolves at that time? Well, the first thing he's saying here is that they'll drag you into their synagogues, right? That's the Pharisees we saw definitely were wolves, that Jesus treated them as wolves. They were ones praying, they were ones scheming behind the scenes. They were the ones who were saying, oh, Jesus, he's of Satan. That's how he's casting out demons, right? It's slander. Scheming behind the scenes ultimately to try to bring up mobs and crowds. That would they would ultimately be successful in that. They would be yelling, crucify him, just out of control. All the way to the cross, Right? Those are the wolves behind the scenes, attacking, scheming. Jesus warned us already when we were back in Matthew 7.15. Let's look at that. We already went through this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They look like sheep. The Pharisees were religious leaders. And, and, and often this is the case with those false prophets. That's, that's false representation of God false representation of a word from God. And anytime you have someone who's making much of themselves and, and claiming to give a word from God and yet it's absent of God's word, beware. And in that, when we went through that before, he actually gave us clues. He said, you'll know them by their fruit. In the church, we can be great fruit investigators, right? That's part of being where? Be wise, have understanding, understand what's behind the motivation that's behind actions. Don't be oblivious to the scheming that, that might be there. Beware of people. What's behind actions? What's behind words? What's the fruit coming out of their life. If I start to be all wrapped up in a person, beware. That's what Jesus is saying. They might look good on the outside. 
but inwardly they're wolves there to tear apart sheep Jesus knew this what do we see in Jesus experience With wisdom and innocence fully aware of wolves and sheep clothing makes me think of Judas right there Jesus already knew I'm sure the father's purpose and including Judas in the twelve Jesus knew on that night as he washed Judas's feet that this one that he had poured himself into had loved on had guided had discipled would turn against him right He knew that. He was wise to that. He saw the wolf that was in sheep's clothing. But in his actions, Jesus still loved him. Jesus was innocent in his actions. He didn't fall to schemes, hidden deceitful schemes. No, he didn't do any of that. He trusted the Father. Paul, later on, after Jesus' death, resurrection, the church is, is going. Paul invested himself into the church in Ephesus. Incredible fruit there. He was there, uh, I think, for a couple of years. That whole region around Ephesus reached for the, with the gospel of Christ. And there's this event recorded in Acts where Paul knows this is the last time he's going to see these people he's just poured himself into. I love you guys. I can't imagine this event for Paul. Last time I'm going to see you. The Spirit has made it clear. I'm not going to see you again for the rest of my life, right? And he's talking to the elders of that church in Ephesus. Look with me in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Here's what he tells them. Just pay careful attention to yourselves. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. What a beautiful picture. What it is to be a pastor. What's, what's the calling of your pastors here? To care for the church which Jesus bought with his own blood. I just love that. It's not my church. It's his church. And I'm just a stand-in here. An under-shepherd caring for his flock. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Fierce wolves from among you. Wolves can be at the highest levels of our, of our nation, Right? They can be within, within the organizations of our government or, or within our cities. They can be uh, within just this, our businesses and our social gatherings. They can be all over the place. They can be within our own members, right? Wolves there at this time. This was leading up to a time, I, I don't think it had happened yet. It was around the 60s, the aught 60s, would you say that, in the first century? <laughs> Around the 60s, the, the Nero rose to power, right, in Rome. 
And as he did that, there's still, the jury's out. Did he set fires to Rome? They sure, it sure seems like it, right? Because it was in his benefit as he's rising to power that, that Rome had terrible fires. And so the idea is that he set fires to Rome. But what did he ultimately do? Whether he set fires to Rome or not, he blamed it on the Christians. And great persecution came after that. That's when you see Christians getting thrown in the Colosseums, right? Terrible persecution. There's Christians and that, that's wolves, that, that's scheming against the people of Christ. It can happen at that level, it can happen even within your own members. And this is what Paul is saying, is that wolves will come in among you. That's those wolves in sheep clothing, not spraying the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The tearing apart of wolves in the body of Christ is not necessarily a physical maiming, right? It's a device of tearing. And then he says in verse 31, therefore, be alert. What's that sound like? Jesus' instruction, beware, be alert, pay attention. Remembering that for three years, there we go, that's how many years he was there among them. For three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. There's Paul's example of beware, of be alert. To pour himself into this cause to protect the body from wolves. And how did he do it? With teaching of God's word to admonish the believers how important it is for us church to root ourselves to ground ourselves in God's word and I will not stop saying how important it is for you to have your own time in God's word and I know how difficult that is because I grew up learning how to do that myself and would go for a whole lot of time not even cracking this book open for much time of my, my early childhood, praise the Lord, I had parents that trained me in how to read God's Word early on, but not everybody gets that. So when I was learning, okay, what is this about, and, and how to even not fall asleep when reading some of the passages in this Bible, I was at a younger age. And kids, youth, my kids, you can do that at a younger age. But to, to work at and to learn and pour yourself into God's word, that's, that's how you see counterfeit. That's how you see, oh, that's not a real sheep. I see the schemes and understand the motivation what's behind that person's world. It's all about themselves. They're trying to build up themselves. I know that that's not good, and I know that's not what a, a disciple of Christ does because a disciple of Christ is all about elevating Christ. It's not personal gain that is that's driving their motivation behind what they're doing. And you start to see clearly because you're grounded in God's word. And you've seen it over and over again as Christ has warned us, as, as, as through Paul, Christ has taught us, through James and Peter and John, Matthew, God has taught us through these men speaking as the Spirit of God has led them to understand. Be alert. Be wise. 
innocent. Beware of people. Then he continues in verse 18. And you will be dragged before governors and kings. This is the effects of wolves, right? For my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. There's a purpose statement. Now, they're dragging you so that you bear witness, right? Because they're accusing you. But there's a purpose statement here, God's purpose. He can drag you into a place of being accused, where, where that, that slander behind the scenes has grown into something that now is just an attack on you, right? And now you are in a place to bear witness. Here's the third point. And it's the purpose in all of this. Opposition is opportunity. Opposition is opportunity when God is working all things. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. God's purpose is amazing, His strategy. It's incredible. We send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And in those moments when you're under attack, when you stand identifying yourself with the name of Jesus Christ in your workplace, when you stand identifying yourself with the name of Jesus Christ in your community, among your friends, and that brings about opposition. That's a moment where your actions, your life, and the words out of your mouth become a conduit of the Father showing the gospel of His Son through you. Do you see His purpose? Sending us out as sheep among wolves. He sent His own Son as the Lamb the sacrificial lamb among the wolves of this world to go to the cross. And there, even as the worst opposition was laid on Christ, the weight of the sin of the world even. Talk about slanderous false accusation for, the, for our sin, the blame for all of our sin to be placed on Christ that's the, the ultimate example of the attack of wolves, right? And in that moment, the saving grace of God and all of its power working through the sacrificial lamb. That's his example now that we follow as he is sending us out into the world as sheep among wolves and as we face opposition. That's opportunity. 
in our faithfulness and trust to Him. For the gospel, for us to be able to speak Christ. What that looks like, it, it's looked like a whole lot of different things over the history of the church. But certainly, what Jesus is pointing to is the future experience of these disciples. It wouldn't be until after Jesus laid down the example of this that this would happen in their lives. After Jesus was resurrected, this would be what they would then endure. Paul, <laughs> as he was there speaking to those in Ephesus, saying wolves are going are to come up from within your midst, where was he about to head? To Jerusalem. The Spirit of God was already telling him, this is actually going to be your future now. You're going to be dragged before kings, King Agrippa. You're going to be dragged before uh, these the different gatherings. And, and we see twice in the book of Acts, wonderful, wonderful examples of the father speaking through a man who's been dragged before accusers of Paul giving his testimony. Two different accounts of him telling of his experience on the road to Damascus, of how beforehand he was, a, he was a great Pharisee. He was religious. He had all of the things that they value, and, and, and yet he persecuted the church as if that was a good thing back then. And then Jesus Christ interrupted his life, intercepted his path, completely changed him. He said, and now here's the mission that Christ has given me to speak the gospel. He's saying that as he's on trial. It's an opportunity for the gospel, for his testimony, to testify. You're being dragged into situations where people are saying, you stand for Jesus Christ. That's ridiculous. Where people go behind your back to slander and accuse you and, be, and, and to cause all sorts of deceitful schemes against you and it brings you to a place just like Paul, where there's an opportunity for the gospel. I love it. King Agrippa, Paul, would you convert me too? Yes, I would that everyone here become as I am except for these chains that are on me. I want all of you to meet Christ, to have your life intercepted by, by the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and everything you thought was good you realize is worthless and you find everything you need, your righteousness, your life, your purpose, your direction, your joy, your faith in Jesus Christ. He says, I want everyone. And there he is, being accused in chains. Opposition is opportunity. Paul from prison. <laughs> I think he was in prison when he's writing to Rome. Actually, I'm forgetting now. I love it. I don't have all the answers. I'll go look that up later. Romans chapter 8. End of Romans chapter 8. Look at what Paul says. He did end up imprisoned in Rome for a long time.
as we stand accused by those around us, right? As we are following the direction of Christ and find ourselves in a place where false accusation has been stirred up against us, in the workplace, wherever it is, and you stand identifying yourself with Jesus Christ. And every accusation against Christ, every Everything against the person of Jesus Christ. It has to do with Jesus Christ. It's one thing to stand, and I've discovered this in the workplace, to say I believe in God is much more acceptable to people. But when you say I believe and trust and follow Jesus Christ, suddenly it's different. It's less palatable, less acceptable. And when I do that, everything that they have against Jesus Christ, which is not reasonable. It's spiritual. Lostness. Just like Paul, before Christ intercepted him, he was zealous against the people of Jesus Christ, and I don't think he would have even been able to explain it. He was righteous. He believed he was righteous in his zealousness against people of Jesus Christ. And that's what's going to be the case. It, the way the world is changing around us, we have lived in a country for so many years that was based on foundational truths in God's Word. That's not the environment so much that we live in anymore, right? And people will believe that they are righteous in their actions against Jesus Christ. They see Jesus Christ and His church as a racist organization. That doesn't set well. When you identify yourself with Jesus Christ, you identify yourself with every deceptive, twisted view that the world has developed against Jesus Christ, and yet you can say, still, I stand with Jesus Christ. And so when you stand there accused, read the words of Paul. Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Do you see the ridiculousness of men, created men, accusing the Son of God, the one who created all of them? You see how to, out of balance that is? Who is it that truly justifies? Who, who administers justice? Who judges rightly and truly? It is God who does that. And so for, for everyone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, who God has declared, not by their own works, but by the works of Christ, and His sacrifice on the cross has declared them righteous. And He is just in doing that because Christ paid the penalty for our sin who now can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. No one can truly bring accusation against those who stand with Christ. Know this as you find yourself in a position. People are accusing you of any number of things because you stand with Christ. And we feel that, don't we? That's uncomfortable. That's why it's difficult to be transparent 
with your faith. As much time I spent in the workplace, I didn't really say a lot. I remember a time going through college, not seminary, it was when I was going to the heathen college. It's a good college. I just joke because at the same time my wife was going through Bible college, I was going to UCSD. They had missionary day, we had coming out day. It was, it was a completely different experience. But as I was going to that college, I wasn't real transparent with my faith. People knew I was Christian, maybe. And I had this lab partner. Spent hours and hours with him. He even shared our home. We had him in the house. Elizabeth can tell you about that experience. And a local cult, a cult, got a hold of him. Uh, Boston Movement. And he was on fire for the wrong thing. And every day I spent arguing against the things that they were feeding him. I said, Lord, if only I had been transparent with my faith before then. If only I had been able to speak into his life before all of these other voices were speaking into his life. It's not easy, because as soon as you do that, you're on a secular college ground. Youth, you're, many of you probably will end up at a secular college. It's only getting worse. You need to write a paper. What are you going to write in that paper? Are you going to go along with how they're saying things are? Or are you going to resolve to speak truth? Rooted in the truth of Christ. To identify yourself as a Christian. It's not comfortable. But then even in that moment, read verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All of these things have been experiences of the church over the history. We have been wonderfully separated from a lot of those experiences, but there's no guarantee that we won't have some of that tomorrow. Or maybe God will call us to a place in the world where right now those are some of the experiences that they have. But certainly persecution is something that comes in many forms. Distress. As it is written, Paul writes, for your sake... We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Jesus said, here's the strategy. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And what comes of that? Wolves tearing into sheep. But in that moment, what? Verse 37, no, in all these things, in the tearing up of sheep, in, in the attack of wolves, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Just as Christ conquered sin at the cross, as we carry on his purpose of salvation, even as wolves tear into his body, his flock, we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. Paul is just like, I don't know what else I can throw in here so that you understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus' final commission to his disciples at the end of Matthew, we will get there eventually, Lord willing, or we'll just have Jesus preach it in heaven if we're taken before then. As he's commissioning his disciples to go to all nations, right? Making disciples, make more disciples, teaching them the things I taught you. The same way, disciple them like I discipled you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What is his promise that goes along with that? I will be with you always. You will never be apart from the love of Christ, no matter how dark or difficult the mission. Jesus was sent into the world, the Lamb of God, the example to every disciple. Now to his disciples he says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And to us, who are also his disciples, he says, I am sending you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. It's my plan. It's my purpose. So, be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of people. Pay attention. Be alert. And in those moments, or you're being accused, or my purpose is carried out in sending you among wolves. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. I will give you what to say. I'll tell you how you're to speak. In that hour, the Holy Spirit will give you what to say so that it's not even you who's speaking. There in your workplace, there wherever God has put you that's difficult and you have identified yourself with Jesus Christ and now you find yourself receiving the experience of the gospel, the hostility towards the gospel, I will speak through you. The Father's words are going to be what comes out of your mouth. I'm going to help you. I will be with you always. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as your instruction to the 12 disciples becomes more specific, it's somber. You didn't hold back, Lord, the reality of what your disciples were to expect ahead of them. As some of them would also be crucified. And as tradition holds, one of them, Lord, would say, he's not worthy to be crucified. That is Lord. So, it says, so he was crucified upside down because of his love for his Savior, for you, Lord Jesus. So even as we might endure some little bit of suffering, 
How petty it seems, Lord, in light of the cross to worry about what people might think of us. Lord, give us faith. Give us courage. A zealousness, God, for your purpose, for your mission. To look for opportunities, even if those opportunities are in the midst of accusation, are in the midst of suffering, of persecution of some kind. Don't know what that looks like, Lord. And in 2021 and 2022, that, that could look like anything. And in each of our situations, God, are different. But give us a zealousness, Lord Jesus, to look for the opportunities, the open doors, to then testify. To be able to say, here's who I was before Christ entered my life. Here's what Jesus did in my life. Maybe I can't answer your accusations, but I can tell you what you, Lord Jesus, did in my life. I can tell them that. tell them how the life change was real, how I went from an emptiness, a hopelessness, searching after all of the wrong things, to finally having understanding of what gives true life, true meaning, true contentment, and it's found in you, Lord Jesus, and I can tell them that, even as they're trying to literally crucify me or proverbially crucify me, God, in any sense that I can just love them back and say, here's what Christ did. I would that all would turn to Him. Lord Jesus, give us that courage. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know You, I pray that You just make Yourself real to them this morning. That they would see that God loves them. That the Father loves them so much that He sent His Son as a lamb to be slain, to take on their sin. That the reason why they don't have joy, true joy and contentment in their life is because they have not been reconciled to God, that they have lived in sin apart from God, resisting God, not turning to God. And God, I pray that, that You just... Use your Holy Spirit that they would feel your presence, feel your calling on their life to say, here, turn to me. Turn away from those other things that you're pursuing in your life. Turn to me. And to trust you, Lord Jesus. To believe in you, Lord Jesus, and be saved. To start a new life. A life in you. That's the hope that we carry, Lord. That's the hope that's worth dying for. You showed us it's worth dying for. You call us. You send us to put to death the things that we're pursuing in this world, possibly to even lay down our lives so that more might be saved. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your faithfulness, and the hope that we have in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. He became sin. 
Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, God's promised king, God's promised suffering servant, everything of your plan that we saw in the Old Testament, that the Jews saw in the Old Testament fulfilled in you, Lord Jesus, to bring about salvation for all mankind, for everyone who had put their trust and faith in you, Lord Jesus. And that's the hope that we carry now. That's the hope worth dying for. That's the hope that fills us with joy and unites us together as your body. Thank you, Lord, for your great salvation that we live in today. It's in your name that we pray, Lord. Amen. Church, there is a sign-up sheet back there. I really, really want to encourage you to be a part what we're calling the Evangelical Outreach. It's actually, the name uh, is Push Outreach, Pushing Back the Darkness. Um, what it's going to be, 9 a.m. to noon is training. If all you want is to go to the training and not after, in the afternoon when we go out, please go to the training. Everything we're talking about this morning, of being a witness of Christ, to, to, being, to sharing the gospel. If you haven't practiced or even thought about or, or planned for, what, it, what do you do when there's an opportunity to share Christ? That's what that training is from 9 to 12. So I encourage you, sign up on the sheet back there to be a part of it. In the afternoon, they're, they're going to feed us lunch after the training. Um, it's up, it, all of it is up at the... Uh, at Oak Meadow Church up off of 35. You've probably seen it off the freeway up there. After that, we're going to form groups and we're going to go out and share the gospel. You could go in one of those groups and just stand in the background and learn and observe. Or maybe you're not able to do that, but at least to go to the training. I encourage you to do that. I love you, church. Go in the Lord.